the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Last week I talked about uh, how for much of biblical history the Bible, or scripture, however that was understood, uh, was seen as a sacred text that was to be wrestled with. Well, certainly for most of uh, history, the history of those books, not to be read literally, as it commonly is today, but was something to have a conversation with. And in the wrestling with, in the conversation, uh, we were to hear what the Word of God might be saying to us through these texts. It's actually only in the last 140 years that the phrase Word of God has been applied primarily to Scripture itself. And before that, the Word of God, as John describes it, the second person of the Trinity, spoke through those texts and through creation and through tradition. So that was a very big shift in thinking, uh, which has kind of gained traction within the kind of general populace, uh, if not with others. And so, that's the question. What is the Word of God saying to us through these texts? And today's reading is a great reading to wrestle with. So let's start with some questions. When you hear that story, what comes to mind when you hear about the Pharisees? So you're allowed to speak at this point. Strict law abiders. Hmm? Strict law abiders. Strict law abiders, yep. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, not in the church. Not in the church, okay. Positions of power. Positions of power. Some of them. Anything else? Arrogant. Arrogant. Mm. Okay. Any other words? Uncompromising. Uncompromising. Mm. Okay. What was wrong with the Pharisees' prayer? All about himself. All about himself? Okay. Anything? Yeah, by the rule rather than the spirit. So that's the Pharisees. What about the tax collector? What comes to mind when you hear about the tax collector in that story? Or it used to be the publican, and the publican was somebody who collected taxes. Doesn't really mean that anymore, so they now call it <laughs> tax collector. What comes to mind when you hear about the, ta- the publican or tax collector in that story? Well, we think they were dishonest. They were franchises. So uh, they weren't employed by Rome. They were kind of bid for the franchise of, like we call the franchise owners today. So you bid for the right to collect taxes on behalf of Rome. So you had to collect the taxes. uh, And then you had to make a living on top of that. So there was always your cut, which we see as dishonest, but actually it's how they made their living. And the size of their cut depended on the tax collector. But it was always, always understood there'd be a cut in there. That's how they made their living. So just like, you know, franchise owners today, they pay so much to the 
the company, then they have to make their cut on top of that. So some were dishonest, not all. What else? What else comes to mind? So what do we mean by that? Well, he was looking for forgiveness. Was he going to stop being a tax collector? Oh, no. No. So he was still going to be a tax collector, but he also knew his need for God's forgiveness. Okay. So what does it mean then to hold someone in contempt? Because this story is all about holding people in contempt. What does that mean? You despise them? Yep. You dismiss them. You dismiss them. So there's a bit of a continuum. Despise, dismiss. Somewhere in there. Some you might despise, some you might just dismiss. Feel superior to. Feel superior to. Yep. Yep. And then the last question is what does it mean to be humble? Any other thoughts? It's quite a hard one. We had a very interesting conversation on Wednesday at our midweek Eucharist, the Benedictines and the Franciscans, and somebody said, I don't feel humble, I feel joy when I play the organ. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting thing. What do you mean by being humble there? I'm pretty sure you can be humble and feel joy at the same time. I hope so, because those are two pillars of being a Franciscan. So within our order as Franciscans, we describe humility as confessing that we have nothing that we have not received and admits that the fact of our insufficiency and our dependence upon God. So that's what humility is. So, let's go back to the Pharisees. I want to suggest that we need to be really careful in the assumptions we make about the Pharisees. I was quite struck in the conversations that we had. So we had two midweek services last week. And in, and in those services, we read the gospel and then we have a while in silence and we have a conversation about that gospel reading. And I was interested by, in the conversation, and in fact in some of the commentaries, how close we came to holding them in contempt. And we've, we've sailed pretty close to that this morning too, haven't we? We've kind of went, oh well, you know, they're strict law abiders, arrogant. We make assumptions about them. We make assumptions about them. We make assumptions about their motivation and their understanding of God. And when we read these stories, we need to keep in mind two things. The first is Luke's context. Like all the Gospel writers was writing post the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the existential angst that caused within the Jewish people. I mean, who are they now the temple has gone? Since the time of Moses, apart from a brief period during the exile, with the tent of the tabernacle, there has been this place which has been the center of their cultic life. And even if you were dispersed, just like Muslims today who return to to um, Mecca for the Hajj 
so too was the expectation that at some point you would return to Jerusalem for one of the great festivals. It was at the centre of your understanding. And now, that was gone. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. There was no hope of returning there. So what did it mean to be a Jew in that context? And the Pharisees are one of the people who provided the leadership in reconfiguring that sense of identity. They play, they play a key role in that, both in the shift away from the cultic observance to the observance of Mosaic law and the development of the oral tradition that then surrounds the, the written Mosaic law. And the oral tradition actually becomes as important and in some cases more important than the Mosaic law itself. So they are critical, they play a critical role in that. And in the early days, Christians were part of, they were just a little Jewish sect, which was becoming more and more problematic as more and more Gentiles were joining, and they weren't following Mosaic law. And that was Paul's great kind of argument with the leaders in Jerusalem, that the Gentiles did not have to be Jews. Jews had to follow Mosaic law, Gentiles did not. And so, increasingly, the Christian community was being pushed out, excluded from this understanding of what it meant to be a Jew. So there's a lot of what we would call raru raru or there's fighting going. I mean, not, well, sometimes physical fighting, but there's, there's aggression being shown to the Christian community. And we can see that in the four Gospels. They're trying to define themselves as somehow separate from this Jewish community that is now evolving. And then there's the debate itself within the story between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now there is a lot of debating between Jesus and Pharisees in the Gospels. And the reason for that is they were really similar. They are both reform movements within Judaism. And there's a lot of similarities between what Jesus was saying and what the Pharisees were saying. So both were calling the Jewish people back to a life of faith. A way, so, for the, for the temple priests, a life of faith meant the ritual observance of the cultic stuff happening in Jerusalem. Which is fine if you live somewhere near Jerusalem, but actually most Jews were scattered and getting to Jerusalem was hard work. So what does it mean to be a Jew in that case, even when the temple's there? So they are pushing for observance, the daily observance of the Mosaic law. And within that, as people observe the law, by, and to do that not just to keep the rules, but to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind by observing the daily observance of the Mosaic law. That's what it was about, loving God. It wasn't just rule-keeping for rule-keeping. It was about loving God. This is how you love God. And as people kept the Mosaic Law, they might encounter God's holiness in all of life and make visible and accessible God's gifts in all aspects of life. So they were a major reform movement. And there were a number of reform movements. There's the Pharisees, there's the Essenes, and then there's Jesus, who is also a reformer. And so we might understand some of the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus to be around how they understood Mosaic law. 
It's the interpretation of the law that's at stake. So the reason why these two groups are constantly having conversations in the Gospels is those conversations were happening. The Pharisees were interested in what Jesus was on about. They saw him while they wanted to check out whether he was a fellow reformer and in terms of their understanding of the, of the reform going on, where did he fit? Was he going to be helpful or not? And the big difference that, as far as I can see, between and some of the commentators, is that Jesus' understanding the Mosaic law focuses around loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind by loving your neighbour. Those two things went together. That's how you loved God. Whereas for the Pharisees, they were able to separate those two things. You love the Lord your God and you could love your neighbour, but they also had a tight definition of who neighbour was. And we see that in today's reading. It did not include people like tax collectors and thieves and adulterers or Samaritans or anyone like that. But in Jesus, in Luke's Gospel in particular, that's exactly who neighbour includes, isn't it? Tax collectors. He doesn't talk about thieves, but he does talk about sinners. And he does talk about Samaritans. And in fact, in two of his big stories about exactly this, the Samaritans are the means by which God teaches people about what it means to love God and what it means to love neighbour. So that's a huge difference between the two groups. What does it mean to observe the Mosaic law? The problem for the Pharisees was they had a very clear definition about who was in and who was out. They were in. And tax collectors were not in. We probably have the other picture. And so in this prayer, the Pharisee writes off the tax collector. While the tax collector passes no comment at all about the Pharisee. He only acknowledges his own brokenness. And the reality is, we all do that, don't we? We all write off other people. We did it this morning in some of our comments about the Pharisees. And, well, maybe even some of the commentators and translators do that. Uh, one of the people I read, who's also part of a podcast that I listen to, Matt Skinner, uh, pointed out that the Greek, the Greek word that we translate as rather can also be translated in other ways. Now, the problem for the translator is when you have a word that has multiple meanings, you have to decide how best to translate that into English. And, I mean, they might try very hard to not let their theology colour how they do that, but it has to colour. And so the other way this word that is translated as rather can be translated is alongside. Now, think about what that does to the story. This man alongside the other will be justified. That's a very different reading of that story. It is possible that at the end both men went home justified. The Pharisee 
despite his blindness. Because in the end, his prayer can be understood as not that bad a prayer. I mean, he's saying, I thank you that with your help, I have made good choices. And he's made good choices. I mean, who wants to dispute the choices he's made? He could have been a thief. He could have done all those other things. But he chose to obey Mosaic law and to live a faithful life focused on loving God. But he's also blind. Blind to how much God might love other people. He wants to limit God's love. He wants to limit God and who God might have mercy for. And the tax collector, well, he goes home justified despite the fact that he will continue to be a collaborator. I mean, he's not just a, he's not just a tax collector. He's a collaborator. He works for Rome. And for some reason, the Romans weren't greatly loved. Partly because they were an invading imperial force who then stomped all over the place and exacted taxes on you so that their army could be paid for. That's what the taxes did. They paid for the army that made sure there was no trouble. And if there was trouble, then they put you on a cross just to remind other people not to make trouble. Maybe God is welcoming and merciful of both, which is what justified means despite their brokenness, whether they can see their brokenness or not. So this reading invites us to repent, and by repent I mean to have a bigger mind, which is what the Greek word literally means, to have a bigger mind, not just turn around, but to have a bigger mind, to see the world in a different way, which was what our reading from Joel this morning. Do you enjoy your reading from Joel? That's it. In three years, that is your one reading from Joel, apart from Pentecost. And they kind of gave us most of the Pentecost reading as well. So that's the little bit you get from Joel. Just enjoy that little bit. So we are being invited to let go of our need for some to be in and some to be out, which is quite difficult. Because there are lots of people we'd quite like to be out, aren't there, if we're honest. And there are lots of people who are quite wrong because they don't agree with us. That's the tricky bit. Because in the end, we're all a little bit right and a little bit wrong, whether we like it or not. That's why wrestling with scripture is important. We just kind of go black and white, that's right, if you agree with me then we're on the right page, if you don't then you're wrong. It's not very helpful, but if we wrestle with it together, then we can both see how we're a little bit right and a little bit wrong. And the word of God has a chance of changing some of that. Because in the end God is merciful and welcoming of both the Pharisee and the tax collector and us. Thank God. So that's what I hear the Word of God saying to us as I have a conversation with Scripture today. So I have four questions, three of which are miraculously going to appear on the screen. So what do you hear? That's the first question. And then the three questions that come out of what I heard. 
What limits do you seek to place on God? How do we seek to narrow the wideness of God's mercy? And what barriers do we put between those we deem unworthy and the God of infinite compassion, generosity and justice? So I invite you to think about that quietly or have a conversation with your neighbour. I'll give you the choice and in a minute or two we'll say a creed.